Welcome to Beef and Forage Roundup with host Chantal McRae. This podcast is a production of Manitoba Beef and Forage Initiatives, created to share information with farmers, producers, and agriculture enthusiasts, and to showcase the important work that is happening at MBFI. Our podcasts drop on the first and third Wednesday of each month. We will be sharing information through interviews with General Manager Mary Jane Orr, project leads for various projects, MBFI team members, speakers from our extension events, industry leaders, and industry suppliers. This podcast will dig deep into on-farm research and field testing practices related to beef cattle and forage production and efficiency and sustainability of practice in the agricultural industry in Manitoba. We will be sharing information on upcoming training and workshops, field and farm demonstration tours, education materials and events at MBFI, as well as producer profiles from around the province and information on their own trials, challenges, innovation, and results. We encourage you to browse our social media accounts and website for links to more information on projects, upcoming events, and important deadlines. Information on our social accounts and website can be found following the show and in the show notes. As always, we encourage you to email us if you have feedback, questions, or topic suggestions for the show at information at mbfi.ca. Pam DeRockney is the Chief Executive Officer of Manitoba Crop Alliance, a not-for-profit farmer-led organization. MCA represents over 7,700 farmer members and strives to continuously improve the competitiveness and profitability of all crops represented by the organization. Pam is responsible for providing vision and leadership in implementing MCA's strategic direction under the guidance of its board of directors. Prior to her role with MCA, Pam was the general manager for two Manitoba commodity organizations and worked for the provincial government in the agriculture department. Pam received a Bachelor of Science in Agriculture and a Master of Science in Plant Science from the University of Manitoba. Pam, her husband, and their two boys own and operate a purebred Semental cow-calf operation near Haywood, Manitoba. Pam's spare time is spent photographing her farm's activities and being her boy's biggest fan at their sporting and 4-H events. To start off, can you share the background on Manitoba Crop Alliance, who the organization represents, and what it offers to its members? Yeah, Manitoba Crop Alliance definitely has a unique background compared to other Manitoba commodity groups, as we form from an amalgamation. So we actually formed from the amalgamation of five different commodity groups that were already operating within the province. And after there was an approval to amalgamate um, MCA or Manitoba Crop Alliance actually began official operations on August 1st of 2020. And so uh, we've been in operation since then and we've really made some great progress over those years that we've been in operations. So today we represent approximately 7,700 farmer members who grow the crops of spring wheat, winter wheat, barley, corn, flax, and sunflowers. And of course, our vision is to make investments with our farmer member dollars that we will make every Manitoba farmer member more productive and sustainable. And we do this by focusing on our strategic objectives of research and production, market development and access, advocacy and communication activities. And I think we'll talk about each of those more a little bit later. Yeah, we will. Can you share a little bit about your personal path that led you to where you are today with Manitoba Crop Alliance? Oh, goodness. So I started my career in agriculture in the industry with the provincial government. So I actually started with them in February of 2001, I believe. And I was a provincial cereal crop specialist there for 16 years. And then an opportunity came up to be a general manager between two management commodity organizations. So at that time, it was the Manitoba Wheat and Barley Growers Association and the Manitoba Corn Growers Association. So they were looking for a joint general manager. And I applied and became a joint general manager. And that happened in February of 2017. And it was around that time that uh, discussions around amalgamation of five commodity groups, of which two of those were the general manager I was of, discussions became more, I guess, official in terms of looking at what an amalgamation could look like. Went through that process with the other three commodity groups. And then uh, when we did receive that positive vote to amalgamate and when MCA started to figure out where they were going to be and who their leadership team was going to be, I was appointed as the chief executive officer. 
alongside with uh, Darcel Graham, who's our chief operating officer. And we were the senior management team of Mounted Prep Alliance when we came into effect on August 1st of 2020. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, you bet. The structure of MCA is unique across Manitoba commodity groups. Can you share how the four crop committees work together to maximize levy resources into meaningful, independent research, valuable knowledge, and targeted advocacy? Yeah, our structure is definitely unique, where we do have four crop committees, and those are wheat and barley, flax, corn, and sunflowers. And so there's actually 34 delegates, and that's what we we call them. They're actually farmer members who grow those crops, who sit on those committees, and they are actually elected by the farmer members at large within the province. So when we consulted with farmers during the process of amalgamation, it was really heard that there was a strong desire to still have a really strategic and deliberate focus on each crop type. So we really wanted to make sure that the resources were provided to each crop type represented and that the voices were heard with respect to the challenges and the opportunities for those crop types as well. So we built uh, into our governance structure, those four crop committees um, to really facilitate that. And I think that's been one of our really great points within Manitoba Crop Alliance is we still have that strong farmer voice within those crop types that we represent. So of course, then those crop committees enable farmers to really focus on those crop specific issues. And those include like research, agronomy, communication initiatives, and market development as well. And so those committees definitely serve in an advisory role. And of course, then they draw on the knowledge and the expertise of, you know, the farmer members that sit on there to recommend actions to the board of directors for those crop specific issues. So in terms of some of the roles and responsibilities that those delegates have on the crop committees, they develop like crop specific research recommendations. They review all the crop specific projects and they monitor research projects. They develop like crop specific market development recommendations. And perhaps one of the biggest things that they do is they kind of gather and provide that grassroots feedback and member needs back to the board. So they're really that grassroots level talking with their fellow farmers, talking about their fellow corn growers, with their fellow flax growers, sunflower growers, in terms of what are the issues that are impacting their farm, and then funneling that back into the crop committee to determine what research priorities should be, and then dividing those recommendations back up to that board level. So I think it's been a really strong structure within our organization, and I think it's reflected in a lot of the research that we're doing at each of the crops that we represent. That farmer voice too is so important. So it's nice to see that that's still front and center of the organization. It is. And I think that was one thing that we heard loud and clear when we were doing the consultation for the amalgamation was kind of in our first proposal, we didn't, we didn't have a crop committee structure. We just had what you would see like a typical board of directors. And we heard feedback from the farmers across Manitoba where it's like, Where's that crop specific focus? Like we really didn't want to, you know, lose that. And we heard that, you know, corn growers, like, you know, they love talking about corn. They want to know how can we make sure that the issues that are impacting corn farmers are still being heard within a larger organization. And so, of course, we went back to the drawing board in terms of the steering committee, which was made up of farmers as well, in terms of how could we address that. And uh, the structure of crop committees came up and it seemed to really fit and it's been working extremely well uh, since we formed in in 2020. And so we still have that strong individual crop specific focus that I think some were concerned that we would lose in a bigger organization, but I think it's only strengthened it, especially for those smaller crop types that maybe didn't have the resources before, where now they're able to leverage it within a larger organization and um, a recognition that just because you're not growing barley this year, doesn't mean you won't ever grow barley in the future, or just because you're not growing sunflowers now, doesn't mean you won't be in the future. So it's really recognizing that whole farm systems approach that farmers operate in day in and day out. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. The MCA website provides a fantastic overview of your strategic plan. Can you give a brief overview of the MCA's five main objectives? Yeah, so we have five objectives within our current strategic plan, and there's key results under each of the objectives, but really the five main objectives that we have in this organization is, first one is our research and production, and of course that includes the extension of those research results as well. And of course, this is where our biggest investments are made, both in terms of dollars committed and staff capacity as well. Our second strategic objective is market development and access. 
Our third one is advocacy. And of course, as you mentioned just before, you know, being a voice for Manitoba farmers on issues that impact the farms is really important to us. The fourth one is communications. We, you know, we really want to get into the hands of farmer members of what we're doing. So of course, having that strong communications program to, to do that is really important. And of course, the fifth one is our operations and a focus on being lean and efficient. The board obviously sets the priorities for how we invest in towards, towards each objective. And then each year through our annual report, we showcase to our farmer members how we invest those dollars that they contribute. We're going to dig into some of those objectives a little bit more. So focusing in on objective one, I have a quote that we've pulled from the website. The research, production, and extension services will have a clear impact on the farms of our members. We will fund research to provide the data that supports and aids members in making decisions for their operations. Can you share your research priorities and broadly how you're growing these results? Yeah, like Manitoba Crop Alliance, we definitely have kind of general research priorities. And those include things such as variety development and genetic enhancement, applied agronomy, disease and pest management, crop quality, economics and farm profitability, and of course, value added opportunities as well. So we definitely have a broad range of, of objectives that fall under that first objective in terms of our research and production. But uh, I thought maybe today I'd focus on like the first objective that I listed, which was the variety development and genetic enhancement. And this is one that we really focus on as an organization because we really do believe that variety development is really a key tool in ensuring profitability for you know, our farmer members. So from 2018 to 2023, Manitoba Crop Alliance, we've actually invested $7.52 million into variety development. About 5.96 million of that is going into spring wheat with the remaining going across the other crop types that we represent. So we've stated it in our strategic plan. We've stated that variety development and genetic enhancement is a top priority for our organization. And I think those investments that we're making definitely signifies that that is a priority and we're investing dollars in that spot. And I think it's really important too that, you know, we learned last year in terms of just how valuable those farmer member investments, particularly in barley and in wheat breeding programs. There was a report commissioned uh, by the, Canadian Wheat Research Coalition, and there's one a similar study done also for barley as well, where it was actually determined that for each dollar invested in breeding programs, Western Canadian barley farmers received nearly $26 in return, whereas for wheat farmers, they received $33 in return through variety development. So for every dollar that a wheat farmer put into variety development, they got an, a return of $33. Like that's an amazing return on investment. And then if you look at like wheat, like just even in terms of specifically Western Red Spring, the yield potential in that time frame grew from, you know, grew 20% from like 2004 to 2021. So it just showcases really kind of, you know, the return on investment that those dollars are making, which is really kind of signaling to us, like we're making an investment in the right area because our dollars are going farther. It's making a return to our farmer members bottom line. And it really does showcase, you know, those amazing results that arrive or can be derived from farmers working together and leveraging our dollars um, collectively for something, you know, such as variety development and, and genetic enhancement as well. Yeah, that's a pretty big difference, both on the, like on their return. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, yeah. And I think that was one of the reasons mm -hmm. why we, um, the groups had commissioned was, you know, farmer members have been, you know, contributing dollars towards variety development in you know various ways in the past through like western greens research foundation and now you know the western commissions in terms of wheat and the barley through collaborative partnerships through the canadian wheat research coalition and the canadian barley research coalition you know we've continued those investments and when we commissioned that study we really wanted to see what that impact was and when you have numbers in terms of you know 26 to 1 and 33 to 1 in terms of what those farmer dollars are doing for their farms. I mean, it really just shows that, you know, we're kind of on the right track in terms of, you know, making strategic investments in variety development and that, you know, farmers continue to have access to top genetics and seed on their farms. There's two programs that are referenced, research on the farm and whole farm research. Can you give me an overview of each and share how they're different? 
For sure. So our research on the forum program. So with that one, we, you know, we definitely recognize that farming is definitely, you know, complex. It's constantly changing. The environments are constantly changing. And of course, with that, there's always questions and problems that come to the surface each year in terms of what are the challenges that farmers are facing? You know, what are the answers that we can provide to them? And I think one of those tools that we can use and to help farmers answer those questions firsthand on what works on their farm is a program like Research on the Farm. So it's about, you know, it's really about scientific research that's being conducted on their own farms. So real working farms. So our program conducts scientific research with the farmer members on their fields uh, with their own equipment. So farmers are really involved really in every step of the way. You know, the crop committee delegates, you know, they kind of determine what the trials are going to be for each for each year. And then we put out a call for proposals. Farmer members can decide which trials they want to be a part of, which ones are the burning questions that they want to be have answered on their farm. And then they're involved from planning what trial they want to do to carrying out the trial, you know, and that includes like planting and treatment application or implementation, and then harvesting the crop, of course, with their own equipment. And of course, we always want to make sure that the protocols are simple and like practical to implement as well. And I think one of the things is that, you know, farmers really learn, you know, the scientific method and really how to conduct that on-farm research testing of new practices and products. So that's really what our research on the farm program is about. Our whole farm program definitely supports more of a whole farm cross-commodity research approach. So our whole farm program and the research that we focus it on is not crop specific, but instead addresses complex research needs across diverse cropping systems that we have here in the province of Manitoba. I think our whole farm research program is one that we're actually really extremely proud of. It was one that was identified as we were going through the amalgamation process and through the consultation was an area that we could really focus on because we weren't just a commodity group focused on one commodity. We were going to be a commodity group focused on six crop types. And then with that came the natural evolution of there's issues that impact all the crop types, regardless of which crop you're growing. So how do we address those problems? And therefore, hence was born, I guess, the whole farm research program that Manitoba Crop Alliance is really proud to deliver. And we actually partner with other Manitoba commodity organizations as well in terms of projects that they're interested in funding as well. I think it's a really great program for Manitoba Crop Alliance. And I think it's really put us on the map in terms of just not crop specific, but a whole farm approach, which of course every farm is, they grow multiple crop types and there's issues that impact no matter what crop type they grow. So it's uh, it's really been a great program for Manitoba Crop Alliance and for our farmer members as well. And we're going to dig into those a little bit more coming up um, and chat about how farmers can be involved if they are interested in doing so. But before we go into that, can you give, I guess, an overview of why on-farm research is so important and what benefits this provides to both producers and the industry? Yeah, on-farm research definitely benefits farmers because, you know, at the core of it, it's demonstrating how products or practices behave on their own farm. You know, often the research question is pretty well almost answered immediately, determining whether a practice is effective or not. And often we also do an assessment in terms of the economic impact as well. So even though you may have seen a positive impact to yield, was there enough of an impact to also make it an economical decision as well? You know, did the increased yield offset what the actual cost of whatever the product or practice that you were putting into, into play into your farm, did it actually make economic sense to do it as well? So I think that's really important as well. So it helps farmers, of course, at the end of the day, answer questions they have in terms of their own farming operation. But I think on-farm research also benefits the industry as well. Because, you know, when you involve farmers in the scientific method, results also can, can be drawn across like a wide range of environments. So data will accumulate quickly. And then we can also then use that to make inferences that are relevant over like a wider like geographical area. And I know in speaking with farmers who've actually participated in the research on the farm program, there's also the value in able to build relationships with the researchers directly as well. You know, for example, we had our agriculture and agri-food Canada barley breeder, Anna Badea. She was riding around in the combine with one of our farmers doing harvest. You know, these are kind of those relationships that are invaluable in terms of, you know, moving the industry forward. You know, the breeder was wanting to learn more about what this farmer needs in terms of varieties. And they're having those discussions 
it was a, a malt barley variety trial that was being conducted. And so we're forming these relationships between the scientific community and farmers. And when that happens, and there's that communication as to what each partner of the value chain needs, I think it's really going to drive you know, our industry forward in terms of answering those questions that uh, is only going to make our farmers profitable, which will make, of course, everyone else within the you know, agriculture industry better as well. So I really think that there's the benefit from farmers of getting the questions answered that they want to answer, but it's also that bigger picture of them being part of an industry and learning how they fit into it and building those relationships is really a benefit of that program. And that relationship piece is so important. I know we've talked about this on the podcast before of like, first of all, how isolating working in a farm can be when you're out there every day by yourself. But I also think that it's extremely limiting if you're not working with other producers as to how far you can take some of those trials that you're doing on your own and do some of that farm research, right? You can do little bits of that on your farm yourself. But like you're saying, when you add multiple producers together and then you bring all of that research together, there's just so much more knowledge to be seen. Exactly. And I know part of our research on the farm program, we always have an event at the end of the year. So in December timeframe, where all the participants of our research on the farm program, plus those that participate in a Manitoba canola growers program, as well as Manitoba pulse and soybeans, because they also have similar programs as well in terms of on-farm research that they conduct for their farmer members as well. We bring everybody together for a half a day in terms of sharing results. They get to see the results from other farmers' fields because they participated, and that's kind of a, a perker benefit, I guess, in terms of participating is you get to see other results as well. There's networking between the farmers in terms of you know those discussions that are happening, and then we always have like a nice meal those types of things. So it brings like exactly what you said, like brings farmers together to talk about those things that are impacting their farms. And when you talk to each other, you've great things can happen. You know, world problems are solved sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's those informal conversations that happen at those types of events. So uh, yeah, it uh, really feeds into a bigger collective, I guess. And you've kind of touched on this a little bit already, but we're going to look at it a little closer. For the research on the farm, what are the program objectives and how is that work carried out with farm members? So yeah, the research on the farm objectives that we have for our programming. So our objectives are to involve farmers like in the scientific method in collaboration with the research specialist. We want them, another objective is to test like new practices or new products over a wide range of farming environments to help guide management decisions, not just for, you know, the farmers that are involved. But can we derive results from all the results that are taking place and create recommendations that could be used by all of our farmer members? We also want to ensure that protocols are simple and practical to implement. And I mentioned this before, but it really is an important piece is it can't be overly complicated. It has to be simple. It has to be practical and it needs to answer the question that farmers have in terms of getting right to the answer, not complicating things with. 15 treatments, it's like you're evaluating this against the check. Very simple, easy to do, easy to implement. And then really at the end of the day, it's determined whether or not a practice is really effective and also doing it through an assessment of an economic lens as well. Because we can't forget at the end of the day, it's often about economics and the profitability of a practice and whether or not it's going to make sense on a farm. So we also make sure we include that economic piece as well. In terms of how the work is carried out uh, with the farmer members. We work definitely with the support and guidance of agronomists and staff trained actually in on-farm trials. So we have a partnership with an organization that is expertise in this space of conducting on-farm trials. So we work closely with them and the farmers actually work closely with that team to make sure that they have the support that's needed. So it's, it's not like here's a protocol farmers go forth and do it. We definitely work with an organization that guides them every step of the way, Um, is out there when they're seeding, is out there when they're harvesting, um, is out there, you know, taking assessments. So there definitely is support along the entire way for farmers who, you know, who want to do one of these trials on their farm. Sounds like a really good setup. It's not super complicated, so you can still have it applied on farms. And I love that you guys are bringing the economics piece in because I think doing trials is fantastic, but if it's not something that is going to make sense to do on somebody's farm, then the uptake of it is just going to be so much less. So 
just having that ability to say, here's the trial that we did. And it's something that's going to be economically profitable or sound for your farm. will I think help in the long run with producers, maybe taking that next step or trying something different. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day too, it's really about, you know, what are the farmers doing on their individual farms right now? So for example, you know, one of the trials that we had was um, a, like a plant population or a seeding rate trial. So it's not like we're dictating to them what those seeding rates are. We're saying, okay, take what your normal seeding rate typically is, and then add 10% to make it a higher seeding rate, and then lower it by 10% to make it a lower seeding rate. So we're not dictating what the seeding rate is per se. It's like, what are you currently doing on your farm? And do you want to assess is, should I be changing it? Okay, well, let's go 10% higher, 10% lower, look at the results. And what does it show you? Are you, are you hitting the sweet spot and you don't need to make any adjustments? Are you thinking like, oh, I could be tailoring it a little bit more and then add that economics piece into it? Well, yeah, I did yield a little bit higher, but it didn't make economic sense because my seed costs were higher than what the yield was. So there's all these little pieces and components, but I think that's the biggest benefit of of the research on the farm is, is taking what farmers are already doing and adjusting and creating protocols that are not telling them what to do per se, but adjusting it slightly just to see if, how can we answer those questions um, for them. How do you compile and keep track of all of that information? Yeah, there is a lot of data that uh, comes out of these trials. I had pulled a little stat together just because I was pulling together our annual report for our farmer members. And we've done 220 research on the farm trial locations since 2020. And that's covering most of our crop types. Uh, we did implement two winter wheat trials for this fall for the 2024 program year. But yeah, 220 trial locations since we established in 2020. So that means there's a lot of data. We mm-hmm. do have information on those results kind of summarized on our website. But that's one thing we've identified as Manitoba Crop Alliance is how do we format that data into a little bit better, easier to use format for farmer members who are wanting to go and see what these results are looking like. So like anything else, data data management is, is a big component and there definitely is a lot of data generated and it's to make sure that we use it in a way that we're communicating, you know, the best results to our farmer members while also recognizing that it's all collated like there's not individual results shown just because I shouldn't say like there's individual trial locations shown but you never know whose farm it is or or those types of things like it's it's very much protecting who's who's conducted those trials but we're still trying to gather all the benefit of all the trials that are done to try to determine is there a recommendation that can come out of it for use by all of our farmer members that's a huge number of trials in four years yeah it's it's yeah and and we're a small program like I, I think if you compared us to same Manitoba Pulse and Soybean Growers, who have been doing this for a number of years, their data set and the number of trials they've done is exceeds ours by a substantial amount. Um, so we're we're small compared to them who've been doing this for their farmer members for quite a number of years already. And I know Manitoba Canola Growers have just started offering this type of program to their farmers as well. So there definitely is a fit for on-farm research in a continuum of like when you're looking at research as a whole, like there's small plot research that's done to answer, you know, questions um, that are, you know, require like multiple treatments, multiple smaller plots, those types of things. Whereas then what are the questions that come out of that type of research that can then be implemented by a farmer on his farm with his equipment, with his practices that would help better tailor results for them that would make sense for their farming operation. So it's just another piece of that research continuum in terms of the different types of research. And at what levels it does it happen? So I think it's there's definitely a fit for it, and I think that's why you see a lot of the you know crop commodity groups offering a program like that to their farmer members. Are there any trials you would like to spotlight that are planned for the 2024 growing season? You know what? Stay tuned. We've received feedback from our farmer delegates at the crop committee level in terms of what are the trials like they want to see continued from previous years and what new trials that they'd like to see for the 2024 year. So we're just finalizing trials and protocols for this growing season. And as I mentioned before, we were excited to add like winter wheat to the list as well, but uh, we'll be sharing in a primary timeframe in terms of what that new protocol list is. So 
I'll just tell everyone to stay tuned and to watch for that news coming forward in, in February. Right. And if producers are looking for that information, where's the best spot for them to look for it? Yeah, definitely. If you if you're interested, if any farmer members are interested in our, you know, our research in the farm program, first thing they can do is definitely make sure you're subscribed to like our monthly e-newsletter that's called Heads Up. We always put out news uh, through that platform and we'll definitely be announcing through it when the new uh, 2024 trials and protocols are available and to sign up. And of course, you can always follow along on our social media platforms as well. Or they can actually just email the office. We have an email. It's hello at mbcropalliance.ca. And of course, we'll direct their email to our research trial specialist who coordinates the research on the farm program. So if farmers are interested, uh, definitely follow us along on social media. Subscribe to our e-newsletter or just call the office and uh, we'll, we'll direct your call as needed. Perfect. And I will uh, make sure that I add all of the links, say, to the social media and the email and stuff into the show notes for listeners if they're looking for them. And we'll kind of chat about them closer to the end as well. So that's great. Can you share promising study outcomes from completed work so far that you would like to highlight? When I was looking through this question, I thought, oh, there'd be maybe a few good ones to highlight. And maybe one project that I'll focus on is we had a Fusarium head blight trial in wheat looking at fungicide management. So what we did was we looked at a producer's normal fungicide application, the kind of at the recommended rate and timing to a fungicide application that was three to five days, like kind of after the recommended timing. And then of course we also left an untreated check. So there was basically three treatments. So kind of what they normally did, an application three to five days after that timing, and then an untreated check. So we actually had 25 replicated trial sites for this protocol between 2018 and 2023. So this was actually a project that was started prior to MCA forming, and it was done by one of our founding organizations, which was the Manitoba Wheat and Barley Growers Association. So we actually measured yield along with the grain quality as well. And what we actually found out in all those uh, years of study, so in those six years, Five out of the 25 sites actually had a statistically significant yield response to fungicide application. So only 25% of the time was there actually a positive yield response with the application of a fungicide. And then when we actually looked at the economics, which we always do, the application was only economical at three of those five sites. So you look at the 25 sites, only five of them actually had a yield benefit, but only three of them had an economic benefit. So, you know, when we look at that, we also then looked at the environmental data over those six years, and we definitely did see a trend where there was drier years when those trials were being done. So, of course, you would think in a drier year that the fungicide applications wouldn't be, I wouldn't say as effective, but maybe not needed because there was drier conditions. And so, therefore, disease development wasn't favorable in the first place. Therefore, you're not seeing, you know, an impact on, you know, a positive impact to a fungicide application. But however, if you are seeing a drier year, we've got a, a data set that kind of shows you that, you know, when you are in a drier situation, more often than not, you're not going to see a positive uh, yield impact to a fungicide application and, you know, less likely to actually see an economic impact to that as well. However, at the same time, we still recommend that producers still look at that, you know, that disease triangle in terms of, you know, the host, the pathogen and the environment on deciding whether, you know, a fungicide application is warranted or not. So, you know, there's a data that, sit, that shows you that, you know, fungicide application may not end up being a yield benefit or an economic impact. But we also recognize that there's other things that come into play as well in terms of perhaps the quality of the crop if it starts out dry, but it turns wet, you know, those types of things. So there's always a multitude of factors that come into play when producers are making those decisions. But it's, here's a data that said that it kind of provides some information. But at the end of the day, it's still up to the farmer to make those individual decisions for their farming operation. And we're just trying to provide information to them to help them with those decision-making processes. That's pretty interesting information, though. It yeah. is. Yeah, for sure. We had another, you know, another study as well. It was a corn population study. And I think this one was really interesting too, where it was really, you know, the objective of the study was to really quantify that impact of either increasing or decreasing a farmer's standard 
planting rate in corn. So for that one, there was 30 trials established from 2020 to 2023. So there was like three years of data. And so then, and I kind of alluded to this earlier where they had like their normal planting rate and then increased it by 10% and then decreased it by 10%. And then what we actually found was that out of, out of the 30 sites, there was only four of them that showed a significant difference in yield between those three plant populations that were actually examined. And so out of those four, where there was a positive yield impact, only two showed a difference where the higher yields were obtained with a higher seeding rate. So in one case, there was actually a higher yield benefit from a lower seeding rate. But really at the end of the day, it shows that out of those four sites, there was only a positive yield impact you know, out of those four sites. But out of the remaining 26 sites, really the farmers have already identified the optimum plant population for their farm based on their own practices. So that's invaluable. Like, you know, we question whether or not we can be targeting higher rates with hybrids that have increased standability and those types of things. They're obviously talking with their agronomists to try to identify what that optimum plant population already is for their farm. And really what it's showing is that, you know what, farmers, they figured it out. They, they've identified it. What they're targeting is kind of that sweet spot. And that helps too. Like that, that mm. provides you confidence in the decisions that you're making are actually you know, the decisions that are, that are right for your farm. So that was a really interesting one as well in terms of the results that we've seen. That is really interesting. And I think, like you said, that confidence piece, just in knowing like we are already doing what we need to be doing to have the best yield we can get. There's always an answer, I think, to, you know, a question. And even if there's no benefit or no response, that's still an answer to your question. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, should I be targeting higher seeding rates? No, you're good. So, I mean, it may not be what the answer was that you were thinking you were going to get, but it still gives you that, like you said, that confidence and yeah, I'm, I'm doing what's right for, for what I'm doing on my farm. And that's an important piece. And that's the questions that a research on the farm program, you know, answers for individual farmers who participate in the program. If farmers want to be involved in trials for future years, how can they do this? Yeah, I think I kind of spoke to it a little bit earlier before in terms of subscribing to our monthly e-newsletter that's called Heads Up and of course following along on our social media platforms as well and they can always call the office. We'll direct them to our research trial specialist who coordinates the research on the farm program for us and we'll get you we'll get those farmer members hooked up with a trial that they're interested in doing for 2024. Switching over to the whole farm research portion, can you share some examples of research priorities and how the multidisciplinary approach works? Yeah, we have within our whole farm research program, like eight priorities identified. And of course, I should probably mention too that um, our whole farm research program is actually farmer led as well in terms of it's led by a whole farm research committees. Kind of already talked about in terms of at the crop specific level, we have crop committees that focus on the crop types that they, you know, that they represent. For the whole farm research program that Magic Crop Alliance coordinates, it's led by the whole farm research committee, which is made up of delegates from each of the four crop committees. It's a committee of eight and staff support is obviously provided to this internal committee. And they're the ones that once again, kind of operate like a crop committee. They receive, they kind of identify the priorities for the program. You know, they uh, work with staff to do a call for proposals. They'll review the proposals. They'll develop recommendations for the board to approve. They'll monitor those programs monitor results, those types of things. So it's still farmer-led in terms of the priorities. And so the eight priorities that the whole farm research committee kind of developed when we first started this program, you know, was looking at like crop rotation innovation. So we're looking at nutrient use efficiencies, cover crops, intercrops, harvest management. A big one, of course, the soil health. You know, we're also looking at economic analyses of like management changes, looking at climate resiliency. So extremes of moisture has been a big one. We often hear about drought and we have been in a situation within the province where we've seen consecutive years of drier conditions. But more often than not in Manitoba, it's usually the opposite where it's extremes of you know higher moisture contents that are impacting uh, crop production. So that's one of the areas that we've focused on. And of course, and then pest management. So we're here, we're looking at weeds, diseases, insects, 
that aren't crop specific, but cut across crop types. So looking at like Secocia or a lot of the, you know, Palmer Amaranth, like those types of weed issues that becoming increasingly concerning in terms of impact that it could have on, you know, agriculture within the province. So, so it's definitely a program, like I said before, that doesn't specifically focus on a, on a crop type, but on a whole farm approach. And so right now we actually have like 30 projects that are being funded by Manageable Crop Alliance and other partners as well with total value of like 19.3 million. So it's really a program in our area of growth that we've seen uh, within Manageable Crop Alliance in terms of being a big focus and strategic objective of our organization is this whole farm and looking at those things like I talked about, like crop rotation, soil health, pest management, those types of issues that are really going to be impacting farmers uh, moving forward. From the livestock production perspective, some of the whole farm projects that stood out included the straw harvesting strategies to provide feedstock while maintaining soil and environmental quality. Can you share the project background and any preliminary findings that have come out of that so far? Yeah. So this is a fairly new project that we've committed to funding. And the data that's going to be collected will really be used to to determine the value of the straw and the nutrient used and exported in its production, along with an effect on, like, say, crop production value, soil quality, and as well as, like, carbon sequestration. So what we hope is that the results will help us develop better management practices and recommendations that will help support really like the increasing demand we have for feed, for fiber and for fuel from kind of our existing land base. Well, of course, hopefully maintaining or hopefully even improving uh, soil and environmental quality as well. So those are kind of like the broad high level goals or what we hope the results will show. The project just started in the 2023 growing season. So unfortunately, there hasn't been any reporting to us to date. And really, of course, then no data to share like at this point. So it's kind of more of an establishment year, I guess. So we're hoping that it'll continue for the next couple of years. And hopefully as we get more years, we'll have more concrete results to share. So once again, it's one of those, stay tuned because yeah, it's, it's a really interesting project. And I think our whole farm research obviously was very supportive of it as we're funders. So we're hopefully we'll answer some of those questions. That'll be a really interesting one to kind of keep tabs on in the next few years to see what what does come out of it for producers. Yeah, I agree for sure. The challenge of livestock crop integration may have opportunities with grazing cover crops. Can you give a project background and any preliminary findings on the making cover crops work with grain cropping systems in the Canadian Prairies project? Yeah, I mean, cover crops, I think we all recognize um, there's been a lot of conversation about cover crops and, and their fit. And, you know, I think we've definitely seen in other areas where cover crops are definitely used kind of in the prairies as kind of a shoulder season crop, either before or after a cash crop or full season cover crops for grazing or as a follower placement. So we kind of see these different roles that a cover crops can play, you know, and we're really trying to, with some of the research that we're funding in this, in, in the area of cover crops in general is really trying to figure out the agronomy of the cover crops and impacts on like farm management, on profitability, on crop production, of course, looking at the environmental benefits of it as well. And of course, impacts maybe that haven't been thoroughly documented in the Canadian prairies as well. We see success cover crops in other regions. Can we see similar success in the Canadian prairies that definitely have a different climate and ecozones than other areas where, you know, cover crops definitely have seen a role and have seen a benefit for farmers. And I think really in particular, you know, the trade-offs between soil water consumption of the cover crops and their environmental benefits, and then the potential impacts on the main cash crop also need to be documented. So these are some of these bigger picture, once again, questions. You know, that's the point of research is to like, we have these big burning questions, like how do we get answers to them? And and I think for cover crops, it's one of those ones that we're just trying to really determine in our typical growing season that often water is not the main limiting factor. Like how how is, how is that going to have a role and how is that going to impact? So yeah, so unfortunately, once again, it's one of those projects that we only have one year of reporting so far for it. It really was kind of a, we established the treatments and the plot. So once again, it's going to be one of those trials or one of those projects that uh, we're going to have to see what the results are 
once again, it kind of just showcases how, you know, this whole forum program, like I said, it kind of just got started within Magical Crop Alliance forums. So we're at that point where we're just starting to see some results from some of the earlier projects that we started to fund. But some of the ones that we started funding, say like 2023, we still haven't reaped the benefits, I guess, of seeing what those results are from those projects that were funded. So I think over the next like three to five years, I think there's going to be a lot of great results coming out from our whole farm research program that we're going to have to really make sure that we're showcasing and sharing those results with our farmer members. Because, you know, once again, if we're doing the research, that's great. But if we're not getting the answers and the results into the hands of our farmer members to use on their farm or to help with them in their decision-making processes, we really need to make sure that we're connecting those dots to make sure that we're getting those recommendations or those results into our farmer's hands. And so that's why communications is definitely one of our objectives as an organization is is to make sure that that happens, facilitate that. Mm -hmm. I know that there's not a lot of research right now about those projects, but even just letting producers know, like, we're thinking about this and these are some trials that we're working on right now. And you can stay tuned and there will be information in a couple of years, or maybe even by next year, there might be some beginnings of information. I think that's important to share too. So that's awesome. There's some really, really good research happening. And I'm excited as a producer myself to find out more about these moving forward too. Oh, that's awesome. That's great to hear. Going beyond research, can you tell me a bit about how MCA supports market development and overview the general market development objectives? Yeah, market development and access is actually our second largest budget expenditure. So our biggest expenditure is research and production. That's where, you know, the biggest portion of our budget uh, goes each year. The second largest is market development and access. And so within this objective, we actually leverage our collaborative partnerships with organizations whose mandates are to support market development and access. So our delegates, our staff, our farmer members, you know, they're also involved, you know, directly in several ways. Examples of this are they provide leadership on these partner organizations, you know, board of directors, showing customers how our farmers, you know, sustainably grow high quality grain for domestic and export markets and customers. Really, when we look at this in terms of when I talk about those collaborative partnerships, you know, we're really members of and provide core funding to organizations such as Cereals Canada and the Canadian Malting Barley Technical Centre. So these are organizations whose really core mandate is market development and access. So we leverage their expertise and their, you know, what they do in these in this space. And we, we give them the core funding. We provide them support in terms of, like I said, directors sitting on their board of directors to help guide them in terms of the, those decisions that they're making, but they're the ones leading really a lot of the market development and access with support from us, if that makes sense. So we're, it's not like our, like our research program is very much like in-house where we're contracting researchers, whereas with market development and access, we're working collaboratively with our partners like Asteros Canada and the Canadian Multimodally Technical Center to support them in their market development and access like activities. So that's largely where a lot of our funds go within the market development and access. We also will fund and support research that supports market development. And I think a good example of this is um, we're actually funding work right now at the University of Manitoba with Dr. House. And he's actually determining the impact of both genetic and environmental factors. And of course, their interactions on the protein quality of sunflower seeds. So, you know, marketability of sunflowers is extremely important um, in terms of making sure that Sunflower seeds that the farmers end up with at the end of the day after a growing season are going to meet the market requirements in terms of whether it's bird seed or whether it's, you know, the food market in terms of sunflower seeds that we crack and eat um, while we're sitting on the beach type of thing. So it's really important that not only do we fund organizations that do kind of market support and development, but also fund research that will help with potential marketing opportunities for specific crop types that we represent as well. Uh, you know, another example is, you know, in partnership with the Canadian Malt Barley Technical Center, just this past fall, we issued a final report that we call the assessment of new malting barley varieties for production and malting selection. And so here we were, it was demonstrated that a lot of the new malting barley varieties that we have coming onto the market actually perform extremely well in terms of agronomically, as well as for like for malting. And so what we're hoping is this actually translates into, you know, obviously malting barley becoming a more competitive crop option for our farmer members, but it also helps in the marketing of these newer malting barley varieties 
because monsters often and brewers often like certain variety because they know how it'll perform. And, you know, a lot of them still like AC Metcalf, which is a, a, you know, an older variety, but farmers are wanting to transition to varieties that, you know, are improved agronomically. So how do we then transition the end users, the maltsters and the brewers to adopt these newer varieties? So this is a space that we play in as well in terms of funding research that will help market development in terms of having a variety acceptance of these new varieties that are coming on board. Sounds like there's lots going on. There's always a research undertone, I guess. I think with our organization, we're obviously very much research forward in terms of that's where our strengths are. And so even though we have, you know, other objectives such as market development and access, there's always that what research can we do to support market development and access moving forward? Because there are sometimes questions that need to be answered from a research lens to help support that. You know, another highlight that, you know, I could share was like, we've had Magical Crop Alliance delegate participation on like new wheat crop trade and technical missions. So we had a farmer uh, do last year's tour and we actually had uh, Corey Peters just do the Asia leg this past December for the 2023-24 program year. So they go to these countries alongside Cereals Canada, alongside the Canadian Grains Commission, alongside exporters. And they're the farmer representative telling our end use customers how they grow wheat, how, how they use sustainable farming practices. And I've heard that's like one of the most popular presentations on these tours is that these end use customers want to hear from the farmer. They want to want to know what they're doing and what are they doing on their farm and how much does government influence what they do and they're intrigued to hear that no government doesn't tell us what variety girl they don't tell us these things it's like we have these decision-making processes that we do and these are the systems that support us um, but at the end of the day we're business people that make decisions that are best for our farm recognizing that you guys as the end use customers are demanding certain things as well so we kind of all play within that value chain so it's, it's really interesting that we provide funding to these organizations, but we also are directly involved and, in, you know, farmers participate in terms of, like I said, talking to end use customers in terms of what farmers are doing. And as you all know, like us Manitoba farmers and Canadian farmers, they have great stories to tell in terms of how, how they grow the crops that they do, how they grow the livestock that they do. And it's just one more mechanism or piece for them to be able to have their voice heard and have the great stories that they have and be able to share them with those end use customers. So it's, it's really invaluable in terms of these collaborative partnerships we have with organizations like Cereals Canada or the Canadian Malt Bartley Technical Center. That sounds like a really neat opportunity just to go and be able to share your story to those people that are, like you said, the end users so that they have a better insight of how the decisions are made, like you said, and, and what impacts that and what influences those decisions for farmers. Yeah. And I know I could talk about this forever. Like, I know we also, you know, through like that partnership with Cereals Canada, like we also have like this past year, we had five Cereals Canada technical exchange program farm tours, which is like really a mouthful, but basically they host incoming technical missions and part of their programming is to go out and visit a farm. And so our farmer members are hosts. And so they'll bring out a trade delegation or, and often it's like a technical exchange. So they're, they're learning about the milling qualities of wheat and, and those types of things. But Cereals Canada always includes a farm tour. And so we've actually had five of our farmer members host these tours. And of course, you know, it, it only, like we talked about before, it helps build that relationship with our end use customers. But I know some of the comments that our farmer members have made about hosting them is that some of these end use customers, you know, have never been in a field of wheat before. They're amazed at the size of the equipment. They're amazed at the wide open spaces. You know, and I think these are things that like we take for granted. You know what I mean? Like we, it's just our normal, like every day. And I think one of the other things that was mentioned was they're just amazed at how much grain they can grow with only depending on the operation, like two to four individuals. Like they're just amazed that you mean two to four farmers in this farming operation can grow this amount of wheat or barley like they're just just amazed by it it's really been eye-opening for our farmer members that have you know hosted these tours as to like the impressions that our end use customers have in terms of what we do but it creates those relationships and then it fosters those relationships and it builds that Canada brand that we already talked about so I I think that yeah these these investments that we make in this area and how we're involved and how our farmers are involved it definitely goes a long way in terms of, you know, making sure that, you know, Canadian wheat is 
is is the brand of choice and continues to to do so and once again allows farmers to tell that great story that they have in terms of how they how they grow that high quality wheat I love that idea of sharing your farm story and allowing people who aren't immersed in agriculture every day to find out more about how their food is grown and where it comes from and the impacts Mm -hmm. that it has on the environment in a positive way, then I think people are doing a really great job of sharing that story, but there's always space for more of that. I totally agree. No, I hear you. I hear (laughs) you. Yeah, there's so many great stories. How do we tell them all? And I think it's just continuing to tell the story. What other resources are available through Manitoba Crop Alliance? Yeah, I feel like we've really covered, you know, a lot of the things that we've been doing as an organization. But I, I thought that maybe one thing that I would share that, you know, might be interested, like might be of interest to the livestock industry is our variety performance trial program. And so that focuses on corn, uh, which would probably be the one of interest to livestock producers, as well as sunflowers. So like focusing on corn. So our performance trial program really is providing kind of a source of like unbiased local corn hybrid performance information through like small plot trials. And it's conducted at various locations across Manitoba. So these are actually conducted, kind of overseen by the Manitoba Corn Committee. And they've actually been conducting these trials since like 1957. So the Manitoba Corn Committee trials and the results that you see each fall that come out from us as Manitoba Crop Alliance they've been kind of ongoing since literally like 1957. So it's kind of a really a long running program. In like 2023, so the most recent year, uh, we had nine grain corn trials and three silage corn trials that were planted within Manitoba. But since like 2020, we've actually evaluated like 199 corn hybrids and 166 silage corn hybrids. So this is another source of information for farmers who are looking at either changing up their corn hybrids or looking at different corn silage varieties for their farm. This is like a third party, you know, unbiased source of information for farmers to go to, to kind of look at, you know, how are these varieties performing? And of course, for our silage corn results, like we also provide silage results as well in terms of TDF and, you know, the feed results as well. I think we also provide like beef breaker, uh, milk breaker, like those kind of calculations as well. So that's another program that we run within Manitoba Crop Alliance is kind of our third-party performance hybrid evaluation trials. So that would be something that uh, if you're ever perusing on our website that, yeah, you can definitely go and check out. And speaking of the website, can you share what the website name is or the link? And then I'll uh, make sure to add it to the show notes as well. Yeah. Our website is mbcropalliance.ca. Perfect. I feel like everything that we've talked about today is really showing what my next question is, but is there other ways that MCA is supporting the future of agriculture in Manitoba? And and like I said, I think everything that we've talked about so far really goes to show how you're offering that kind of support to producers in agriculture. Yeah. And I think that was the first thing that came to mind. Our large investment in research and in market development and access, I think is really supporting the future of agriculture. Really, when I look at, you know, our investments alone in the 2022-23 fiscal year, you know, and our research program was like $3.3 million. And we talked about earlier about the return on investments in terms of right development. Really, that's just, you know, everything that we do is really trying to answer the questions of today for farmers and the challenges that they're facing. But it's also setting up the future as well, especially when you look at something like variety development. I think like what we're funding today is going to be varieties that are like, farmers are using like eight years out. So it really is looking at the future. But I think one thing that maybe we haven't talked about earlier in terms of kind of supporting the future, one thing I will mention and highlight, and I think it's something that really was a highlight for for me personally in 2023, was we committed as a Magical Crop Alliance to a historic like three-year funding commitment for agriculture in the classroom, Manitoba. And that's totaling over the three years, like $185,000. As MCA, uh, we've been really proud supporters of Egg in the Classroom Manitoba because we recognize at the end of the day that those students really are our future leaders, our voters, the consumers. They're they're the future. So we really want to make this commitment and hope the commitment will help like Egg in the Classroom Manitoba really continue to deliver on its valuable 
educational program. So in terms of investing in the future and investing in the future of agriculture, I think that commitment that we made to Ag in the Classroom Manitoba in 2023 for the next three years is really a highlight or one of the one of the highlights um, in terms of what Manitoba Crop Alliance is doing for, for the future. That's a great way to show that support too. And are there any upcoming MCA events that producers should be aware of? Yeah, we've got uh, two events that hopefully we'll see great participation at or with our farmer members. Uh, the first one is the Crop Connect Conference. And that's obviously in collaboration with the Manitoba Canola Growers Association, the Manitoba Pulse and Soybean Growers, Manitoba Oak Growers, and the Manitoba Sea Growers as well. So that's taking place February 14th and 15th in Winnipeg, Manitoba at the Victoria Inn and Conference Centre. Registration is still open for farmers that haven't registered. There's still time. Two-day agenda, great speakers coming in, great lineup of educational topics ranging from agronomy to marketing to management. And of course, some really great keynote speakers. And as part of Crop Connect, and this is my second event I'll mention, is uh, Magical Crop Alliance's annual general meeting. So our annual general meeting is being held February 15th. So the Thursday, second day of Crop Connect. We have lunch served at noon and our annual general meeting will start at 1230. And of course, any farmer members can attend either in person if you're at Crop Connect or you can also attend virtually as well. So we're making a virtual option available for those that can't make it into Winnipeg. Uh, we want to be as inclusive as possible. So we have a virtual option available for those that want to participate as well. So, uh, so yeah, if, they, if you want to learn more about what Magical Crop Alliance is doing, I definitely encourage come out and participate or attend virtually in terms of our annual general meeting. Awesome. And we're wrapping up, but are there any other ideas, resources, or information you'd like to share with our listeners today before we finish up? Yeah, I think I already kind of mentioned it, but I definitely want to encourage all your listeners to, you know, definitely keep in touch with us and what we're doing. And I think probably the easiest way to do that is definitely, once again, sign up for our monthly e-newsletter and it's called Heads Up. Uh, you know, follow us on social media platforms. Like we're on X, which I guess is formerly Twitter. Um, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. If you are a current member of our organization, make sure to read our magazine publications that we mail directly to you. So they arrive in your mailbox. So old school, right in your mailbox, hands-on publication. We have the fence post that goes out in May and November each year. And then we also have our research focus magazine. Uh, it's called The Focal Point, and that's actually mailed out in early February. So that magazine is strictly focused on research projects that we're funding and actually have results for. And so we share usually about eight to 10 projects in that magazine. And uh, it's really been high uptake just because it is really showcasing those, sharing the results of that research that we've, that we've talked about today and that we've been funding over the last couple of years. So the results getting into the hands of our farmer members. Of course, both the fence post and the focal point, although they're mailed out directly to our farmer members, they're also available on our website as well. So if you go to under news and events on the mbcropalliance.ca website, you'll find all of our communication resources there. So definitely sign up. Be the first to know when things arrive in your inbox. And maybe the only other thing I'll mention is we also have delegate elections. Uh, so the nominations and election time period is actually starting this summer. Our nominations are opening July 1st and will close October 1st. And then if there's elections that are necessary, that'll happen kind of in that November, December timeframe. So if there's any farmer members that are listening and who is a member of Manitoba Crop Alliance and are interested in learning more about becoming a delegate in the Manitoba Crop Alliance governance system, you know, or becoming a delegate, of course, on one of our four crop committees, please contact the office and uh, we'll walk you through the process and give you any more information that you would need in terms of becoming engaged in our organization at a crop committee level. And I will make sure to add the handles for your Twitter or X and Instagram and Facebook into the show notes too, so that if there's listeners who are looking for those, they'll be in there. And I guess the last thing that I have is contact information. So if producers are wanting to get more information, you've mentioned that hello at mbcropalliance.ca email. Can you share other ways producers can get in contact with Manitoba Crop Alliance? On our website, uh, we have a contact us page. So on that page, we have office phone number 
you know, we have our email, which we mentioned before in terms of hello at mbcropalliance.ca. Definitely reach out to the office and we will direct your call as needed. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for taking your time today and answering so many questions. You have so much information to share about all of the things that are coming out of Manitoba Crop Alliance. And I really just appreciate your time today and, and all that you're doing in order to move agriculture forward in Manitoba. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me and Manitoba Crop Alliance on your podcast. An exciting opportunity for us to once again share with our farmers what we're doing and what we're up to and how we're investing their dollars. And, and uh, yeah, thanks again for the opportunity. It's, it's been great. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Beef and Forage Roundup. For more information on the research projects or upcoming extension events, please visit us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MB Beef and Forage. For full project reports and more information about MBFI, please visit our website, mbfi.ca. If you have feedback on the show, questions about content, are interested in becoming a project partner or contributor, or want to submit a proposal for a research project topic, please email information at mbfi.ca. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to ensure you don't miss an upcoming episode. The research programs and daily operations at MBFI would not be possible without funding from the province of Manitoba, Government of Canada, and the Sustainable Canadian Agricultural Partnership, as well as partnership with Manitoba Agriculture, Manitoba Beef Producers, and Ducks Unlimited Canada.